The United Soccer Coaches is proud to present the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster Dean Linky. That's right, the NSCAA is now the United Soccer Coaches. We aren't changing who we are, just what you call us. Start your free, no-risk trial membership today. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join today. We unite coaches at every level of the game around the passion of the game. Now, here's our host, Dean Linky. I am Dean Linky, and welcome to another edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Delighted to be with you. Of course, if you joined me last week, I took you deep, 90 minutes deep, a show that was jam-packed with fantastic guests. This week, I'm going to pull back just a little bit on the throttle, try to shorten down the show and pack you with important information about United Soccer Coaches Open Training, a look at perhaps one of the biggest early season matchup in men's college soccer as Maryland hosts Indiana. Maryland number five in the United Soccer Coaches podcast, Indiana number four. I will have that call on the Big Ten Network Friday night at 7 o'clock, and my 11-year broadcast partner, Chris Dorn, will join me to break down this game that could break a record. Who knows? It could top the 8,000 that saw UCLA play Maryland a couple years ago. Of course, this past Friday, 7,500 showed up to watch Maryland beat UCLA yet again in overtime. It was a thriller. Expect another one on Friday night as we break it down. From there, we visit with another member of our United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30. How fantastic is this group? 15 men and women under 30 who have a great passion and love for the game. And that includes Christopher McBride, who's in his first season as the top man at Southeastern Louisiana for the women's soccer program. That's D1. Today, they play South Alabama. He was on the bench as an assistant coach for South Alabama last year when they knocked off Mark Recorian and the Florida State Seminoles. He'll talk about that game, what he enjoys about the 30 under 30 program and how much fun he's having here in the United States by way of Scotland. And we'll wrap up getting you caught up on NAIA men's and women's soccer. Still a big show, but not 90 minutes long. A more comfortable time. I think you'll agree. I hope you enjoy the show. We'll kick off with Charlie Slago, president of the United soccer coaches when we come back. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com slash NSCAA1. Once again, here's Dean. I am Dean Linky. So glad to be with you here on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. United Soccer Coaches, new look, new name, same mission. And it is indeed my pleasure to be joined by the current president of the United Soccer Coaches, Charlie Slago, who's also the CEO of Tampa Bay United. He's such a legend in the youth program as well. Legend collegiately, 20 plus years at Davidson, where he was the mastermind behind a college cup team, the mastermind behind hosting college cups, the mastermind behind drawing the U.S. men's national team a couple years prior to the World Cup to Davidson 
to play international exhibitions. I mean, he does it all, and he's with us now. Charlie, thanks for being with us. Pleasure to be on with you, Dino. Yeah, and you didn't know you were a mastermind of everything, right? Uh, you, but you I truly are. No, I, I was a little bit awestruck there that I was a mastermind of anything. So uh, that's great. Well, no, and you know you are, though. Now you're the mastermind of this open training week uh, at the college level, October 3rd through 8th. And since we're focused almost 100% now on college soccer as part of the United Soccer Coaches podcast, I wanted you to tell people now, to give people the, enough time to know what's going on and get involved. It's October 3rd through the 8th. What is it? And I know you've been behind it from the beginning. Right. What it is, uh, Dean, is uh, we did a, a test in the spring, and college coaches and pro coaches are asked to open their training, just uh, what they're doing anyhow. Uh, they have their team out there training, and open it up for United Soccer Coaches members, but also non-members who are just interested in uh, going out and, uh, and watching uh, a team train for an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. What happens is uh, the coach will uh, – come out and talk to the uh, group that's uh, there to watch uh, before training starts and then uh, have your training just like you do normally. And then at the end, uh, stop by, thank the uh, people for coming out and supporting them and also uh, answer any questions about uh, what happened in that training um, just then. Specifically for colleges, talk about the participation. Uh, was it hard to get teams involved? No, I mean, we had 250 uh, colleges, uh, or colleges and pros, but mostly colleges that aren't as many pro teams, do uh, the first one. And we had over 1,000 people come watch. So uh, we're getting the word out uh, right now. Of course, they're just finishing up preseason, get their early games going. Uh, and so we've gotten um, a good number already, but um, they'll keep signing up. And the actual dates our, uh, we call it the Open Training Week, it's October 3rd through October 8th uh, is when those, uh, that training is going to happen. So um, it's, uh, it works out pretty well for um, everybody con- it concerned, and uh, you know, I think that it can continue to grow. In the future, we could even have club teams that uh, open their training um, and high schools open their training, uh, but we're just testing the market right now, and um, we we're real pleased with 250 and 1,000, and uh, Hope to uh, have more than that uh, October 3rd to 8th uh, this year. Simply put, Charlie, there's nothing better than the real-life experience of seeing these top-level coaches in action with their team. Right, and uh, we have so many great coaches in the United Soccer Coaches, uh, uh, and so it is great to uh, see them. And even if you're coaching like a six-year-old team, you you go out and watch, this is where those kids are headed. Will you use some of the drills? Eh, maybe not. Will you watch how the coach interacts with his players? Probably a lot. And, and just to see the organization. You know, it isn't like, I wonder what we're going to do next uh, at a college practice. It is, you know, they're pretty well planned, obviously, uh, obviously with the ability to lengthen something and ad lib a little bit. But I think that uh, you're going to find that these uh, coaches will find out that they, uh, that these, these guys know what they're doing and, uh, and, and, can take something out of it, whether you coach a six-year-old team, a high school team, uh, or a very, very good under-18 team. I'm listening right now. I'm a United Soccer Coaches member. I want to participate in this open training. How do I do it? They can go to unitedsoccercoaches.org, and you uh, sign up for that to host. And then in a couple weeks, there will be the uh, ability to see all the places that are giving uh, open trainings, and you can sign up to do that. And... uh, 
So that way the coach will be ready. The coaches uh, leading the uh, teams will be ready to uh, instruct you and, uh, and know who's coming. All right, finally, Charlie, you were there over a month ago out in Chicago for the unveiling of the new name, United Soccer Coaches. Your thoughts on the new brand? I think it's a great brand. Uh, we, we do bring coaches together. One of the things I've talked about is vertical integration and horizontal integration. Or, uh, vertical is open training is definitely that. We have a high-level coach showing uh, what he does in practice or she does in practice to people who may not be as experienced. So that's vertical integration. Uh, with what we've done, advocacy council-wise, uh, we are, have horizontal uh, integration. And what that is is you have uh, these groups that all are doing the same thing. Uh, they may have a different uh, constituency, but they are working together for the good of the game. And so I think that we are united, and we want to push being united. The NSCAA and now the United Soccer Coaches has always been educating. I said something the other day that, you know, educating American coaches and others uh, for 76 years. And that is going to continue, and uh, that will be a main gist of what we do. But we also want to be uh, advocates for our soccer coaches uh, and also let them greet each other, meet each other, obviously what they could do that in the convention, and um, just be there for the soccer coaches here in this country and uh, neighboring countries and also abroad. Charlie Slago, one of my all-time favorites, former broadcast partner as well. Who knows, maybe we'll get one more chance to be in the booth together. Thanks for being with us here on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Well, Dean Link, it's a pleasure to be on with one of my favorites, too. Thanks for putting me on, and uh, we love what you're doing with the podcast. Okay, by way of our good friends at United Soccer Coaches, including Ashley Goodrich, let me reinforce exactly what Charlie Slago is talking about with this special message. Open Training Week returns October 3 through 8, 2017 in cities nationwide. This event initiative provides an opportunity for coaches from all levels to experience new environments, observe high-level training sessions, and learn from one another. Men's and women's teams at the college and professional levels welcome local soccer coaches in their communities to attend a practice. To register, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org backslash open training. Hosts may register until October 3rd. Attendee registration will open September 7th. Have questions about Open Training Week? Please email training at unitedsoccercoaches.org. Well done, Charlie Slago. And speaking of well done, Chris Doran has been my broadcast partner in the booth for the Big Ten Network men's college soccer for 11 years. He'll join me on Friday night, College Park, Maryland. It's number five, Maryland, number four, Indiana, as the Big Ten season kicks off. And he'll break down that game when we come back on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. 
Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. I want to thank Charlie Slago, the current president of the United Soccer Coaches, for joining me in segment one. Last week, of course, heavy emphasis on women's college soccer with all the upsets. This week, we preview a big-time match on the Big Ten Network. I'll have the call along with my 11-year broadcast partner. Hard to believe 11 years in the booth calling Big Ten games. That's Chris Doran. Chris, thanks for being with us on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. So excited to be with you, Dean. Great shows week in and week out, and it's nice to be a part of what you're doing there with United Soccer Coaches. I appreciate that. I felt like we had a great show last Friday. Maryland, UCLA, deja vu all over again. Overtime thriller for Sasso Sarosky and Maryland. And you said uh, after that broadcast, you know what? If Indiana continues to roll this weekend, it could be a top five matchup. And as always, Chris, you're right. So here we go. United Soccer Coaches polls are out. Indiana number four. Maryland number five. Ludwig Field could be a record crowd. Can you really ask for anything more as you start the Big Ten season? Well, if you're Indiana, you would be asking to have that game played in Bloomington <laughs> rather than in College Park. But no, not as a broadcaster. I'm happy to be sitting alongside you on Friday, and we can watch it as nonpartisan fans. It'll be a really great game. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think uh, you know Todd Yegley will tell us as well that maybe it's a little early for these two favorites to go at it. But I think because of it, it will indeed be a fantastic crowd and a fantastic atmosphere. Well, let's, let's first talk about Maryland, because um, you saw them on Friday, and then I know you saw Indiana on Sunday. But, you know, we came into the game talking about the fact Maryland lost their goalkeeper, they lost their back line, but returned all of their attacking players. Now, they got some breaks by bringing in Chase Gasper. The transfer from UCLA is a pretty special left back. They got a nice young man named Bergman from Germany. I guess he's not young, 23 years old with three years of eligibility. So a couple breaks there for Sasha. But uh, what did you take away from Maryland's performance against UCLA? Well, they almost left off where they ended the season last year, save for getting the win on Friday against UCLA. Of course, having lost to Providence in that uh, first game of the NCAA tournament for the Maryland Terrapins, it was a real letdown. And so we, we kind of dubbed this the uh, um, the tour of uh, reconciling disappointment from 2016 for Coach Sasho. And, and I, I think they're off to a really great start. I love Dane St. Clair between the pipes a good young sophomore goalkeeper. He's got big shoes to fill, but as you and I talked on Friday, Dean, I thought um, he is, though he's not at the same pace in terms of his development, he reminds me a lot of Zach Steffen, who only spent a short time with Maryland, went on to play overseas, and now plays in Major League Soccer, but he's got the same great size, um, great reach, strong athletic ability, and he can whack a ball down the field, either out of his hands or off the ground. So I love Dane St. Clair. You know, the big question mark for Sasho is to um, fill that gap in the defensive central back slots. Um, Donovan Pines getting a couple of opportunities. Um, we saw um, uh, Stray in there, and, and, and the disappointment when Samuels went down on Friday, he had spent a little bit of time in that center back spot. I thought he looked good. The question mark still is the two central defensive roles and really just the one, the right side and how you can limit the opportunities of the opponent so that St. Clair can continue to get comfortable and develop as a young goalkeeper. Now that's defensively. Certainly no questions, though, with the attack, with the return of Gordon Wilde, Sebastian Elney, Eric Williamson, Amar Sedgik, and they're loaded up top. They really are. And they've got great push from the underside with Jake Krasansky doing a really nice job. You and I saw Mitzelovich for the first time, Eric Mitzelovich, a freshman, getting a lot of playing time, played uh, 73 minutes last Friday night. 
very strong player. And you're right, with these returning players who all say, you know, we feel empty after the way the 2016 season ended. We want a little bit more. They're certainly hungry. They've got the uh, veteran polish to pull it off. Uh, and they looked good. They're very dynamic in transition. They offer a lot in the way of um, looks going to goal. Um, and the quick combination play from some of the players in the center, Gordon Wild among them, uh, really makes Maryland dangerous every time they've got the ball. All right, phenomenal breakdown on Maryland, who again will be the host in the house that Sasho built. The place is amazing in that he kind of manufactured this environment uh, kind of on his own right back in the early 2000s, and it gets bigger and better every year. Meanwhile, the Indiana Hoosiers, we talked to Todd Yegley, who is just not only a great coach, but a great person as well, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, I said, expectations, you know, are they always for getting another star? And he said, he didn't mince words. He said, absolutely. That's why you go to Indiana. And then he said, Chris Doran, that uh, this team could perhaps get another star. You've seen them now. They're undefeated to start the season. And not just undefeated. I mean, they're undefeated in an impressive fashion. Yeah, they are. They've got a uh, plus 10 goal differential in their first four games. They're undefeated, and they've only allowed that one goal. Three shutouts with freshman goalkeeper Trey Muse between the pipes. So it has been a really great start. Last time, uh, they started out 4-0, was, um, have to go back to Mike Freitag's NCAA Tournament Championship year 2004. Um, so it's been a while since they've started with four wins. In fact, uh, this is the strongest goals differential uh, that we've seen from Indiana for uh, a number of years. It's really easy to be upbeat if you're a Hoosier soccer fan. Um, the need has always been, at least for the last five or six years, go back to the 2012 Cup run where they won the title down in Hoover, Alabama. The need has been to find that assassin up top, someone who is going to make a defensive group pay, either in terms of mistakes or in buildup and creativity in the final third. And Indiana, I think, has found some options. You know, they brought in Rashad Hyacinth, who was a, a transfer player as a junior last year. Good, mature, uh, strong character in the in the locker room, but towards the end of the season wasn't able to produce, maybe because he had limited opportunity and some competition from the bench. But in addition this year to Rashad, they've also brought in some great young freshmen who've had tremendous international experience and are guys who can make an impact. Mason Toy is one of them. He's recently been coming off the bench, but he could, as he develops, become very, very uh, important to the starting 11 at some point later in the season. He's six foot three, 180, and Dean, let me tell you, the kid has got some speed. So looking forward to seeing him play through the season. Griffin Dorsey has been the regular starter. He's a six-foot freshman out of Colorado, has done a terrific job throughout the course of the first four games. Left in the 27th minute on Sunday night, against um, South Florida, did not come back into the game. Explanation was that um, with Rashad Hyacinth's um, performance and the way Rashad was able to stretch the back line of South Florida, it was really Rashad's game. The interesting thing to note that in addition to those guys and a guy by the name of Thomas War, uh, you now have two or three, maybe four options up top. And that gives Indiana a really nice dynamic look at goal from several different perspectives as they head to the attacking third. They appeared a little bit less 
multi-dimensional in a couple of years past. This year, they're very dangerous. Well, and all that danger, for the most part, was in their youth. And then you think about the fact they've got one of the best defenders in the country, let alone the Big Ten back in Lillard. They've got uh, Moore in the middle, Swartz doing good things. I mean, they've also got some solid experience built around this speed in this youth. Yeah, they do. They've got great experience. And Trevor Swartz has been playing phenomenally from the uh, midfield slot. He loves to get forward and pinch in, does a really nice job of um, unbalancing the back four of a defensive line. So really dangerous look there. And as you mentioned, Francisco Moore just does a solid job of the simple things. We've heard comparisons between him and so many of the great central holding mids in Indiana's history. So great to see him out there. The combination in the back uh, with Grant Lillard and his seasoned veterans alongside him really make this a very strong team defensively and an exciting team on the attack. That includes Mr. Gootman. Cannot forget Mr. Gootman, who is phenomenal on that left side. When you're talking about great left backs, he can go toe-to-toe with Chase Gasper for Maryland. Okay, Chris, as we wrap it up here, Indiana can win on the road in front of a raucous crowd if they do what two things? With the young players, the veterans have got to not necessarily hold the young players' hands, but help them through the first 15 minutes of pressure that's going to come from Maryland. Uh, This is a game, maybe more so than UCLA, this is a game where Maryland wants to make their mark on a season. Last year, this game was a draw. It was one of two draws in the regular season. It kept them from having an unblemished record throughout the course of the regular season. And so there's probably a little more bite coming from Maryland this year than in the past. And what I think is important is that Indiana's veterans help the young guys really absorb and then respond to the pressure from the first 15 minutes of the game. After that, you'll hear Todd Yeagley, and I'll say the same thing. This game becomes much more about territory and learning where there are parts of the field that you can take, how quickly you need to take them, and get forward in the process. So it's two things. Number one, sustain and absorb the pressure early on in the first 15 minutes or so. And then the second thing is be patient as you take territory over the course of the match and work your way downfield for opportunities in front of the goal. Knowing the way the Terps play at home, what two things have to happen for Sasho and his crew, literally the crew, the fans, for Maryland to get a win? They too have to be patient, but they, they can't make mistakes in the back. And um, I, I have a feeling that we may see the kind of um, veteran experience that Sasho knows takes knows how to win games like this in the middle, in the back. It may not be a Donovan Pines, who's a really great young defender. It may be somebody that's got a little more game time under his belt. So we'll look for that. Minimizing the mistakes in the back, and I think capitalizing on restarts. When you have a guy like Gordon Wild, who can plant a ball uh, from distance and make things happen for you on restarts, I think it'll be really important for them not to waste opportunities when it comes to restarts. Look, we know there's some other good teams around the country. There always are. Of course, Stanford, back-to-back national champions as well. Pretty good teams in the ACC. But I've heard rumblings already that uh, people are saying they wouldn't be surprised if these two teams met in the Big Ten tournament final. And they wouldn't be surprised if these two teams met at the College Cup. Pretty early, pretty bold. But what do you think of that sentiment? Yeah, I, I think in the end, the selection committee is going to probably be challenged by keeping these teams separated in their brackets so that they don't meet before the Final Four. I think that's going to be a really tough challenge 
because you remember the year that we saw five or six teams make it to the NCAA tournament, and we started to see these teams get matched up in the quarterfinals. I think it's important, if these two teams have the seasons that we expect them to have, uh, to note that one of the big challenges for the committee at the end of the season is going to be to see how far they can keep them apart from one another and make it fair and give them due notice in their, in their placement in the tournament so that they don't meet before we see them in the semifinals. And for sure, Michigan State and Wisconsin also hoping to join them in the big dance as well. Chris Doran, he will have the call with me on Friday night, Big Ten Network at Maryland, Ludwig Field. Maryland number five, Indiana number four. Can't ask for a better conference matchup early on in front of a raucous crowd. Chris, thanks for breaking it down both sides. Look forward to seeing you on Friday. All right, buddy. Thanks, Dean. Okay, that's going to be a good one. Maryland and Indiana from men's soccer. We do move back to women's soccer, but we do it by way of United Soccer Coaches' impressive 30 under 30 program. You know, I get excited every week when we visit another member of the United Soccer Coaches 30 under 30, and I'm blown away by the number of 30 under 30 members who are head coaches at major programs, including the head coach of the women's program at Southeastern Louisiana. That's Division One, And Christopher McBride in his first season there after being on the bench last year for South Alabama, which, by the way, reminding you, knocked off Florida State, Mark Krikorian, and the Florida State Seminoles a year ago. The head coach at South Alabama is now at Arizona State. The assistant coach is at Southeastern Louisiana. Christopher McBride joins us next as a member of the impressive United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30 program. The NSCAA is now United Soccer Coaches. We help you develop into better coaches so you can develop better players. We aren't changing who we are, just what you call us. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join today. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. I want to thank Charlie Slago, the president of United Soccer Coaches, for joining us. How about Chris Doran breaking down that huge matchup on the Big Ten Network Friday night? I'll have the call for Maryland and UCLA, a top four, five matchup in front of 8,000 expected in College Park. Now we are pleased to welcome in another member of our impressive 30 under 30. Today from the men's side, remember 15 men, 15 women, phenomenal coaches under the age of 30, making a difference around their passion and love of the sport. And we're joined now by Christopher McBride in his first season as the head coach of the Division I women's program at Southeastern Louisiana, the Lions. And of course, Christopher McBride was actually on the bench last year when South Alabama knocked off Florida State. The head coach there went on to Arizona State, and Mr. McBride went to Southeastern Louisiana as the top man. Impressive member of the 30 Under 30, and welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap, Coach McBride. Thanks for having me. Well, excited to have you, not only because you're a member of 30 Under 30, but also because you already are a head coach, which is super impressive, and this is your first year as the top man, as you were hired, it looks like, November of last year. Talk about uh, how you you got hired because you were with a different program. I was. So um, I spent the, the year over at the University of South Alabama as an assistant uh, with, with Graham Winkworth, who's now over as the head coach at Arizona State. Uh, we actually started our, our time together back at the University of North Alabama, Division II school in the Gulf South Conference. Uh, and we spent some time there uh, before he moved on to South Alabama. And then in February of last year, um, the position opened up for his assistant again. And, 
uh, it was just another right fit for us so I moved down there uh, we had a successful year on top of the successful years they already had so after the year had came to a conclusion uh, I applied for the job I uh, went through the interview process and was lucky enough to be selected uh, as the new head coach over here at Southeastern. Well, that's certainly very, very exciting uh, to get that first opportunity, and now your season is upon you as well. Talk about uh, your expectations for the season, Coach. Uh, the expectations are we're taking over a program that, um, you know, they won the Commerce Tournament 2013 and 2015. Um, last year we graduated uh, eight seniors, uh, and then with the departure of the previous head coach, we had some kids leave at the end of the semester uh, in fall and it's spring. So we brought in uh, a lot of new players, 10, 10 freshmen uh, and a transfer. So 11 new faces to the program. Uh, and the biggest thing for us right now is um, getting everyone on the same page. Uh, there's been new coaches coming in, new players, uh, and we've got to make sure that, that everyone has the same goal and we're kind of changing the culture and, and making sure it's, it's professional and, and everyone's treated right and we've all got the same goals in mind. So for this year, we want to just make sure that we prepare as best as we can for conference. Uh, our non-conference schedule is pretty tough. We play some of the opponents that, um, you know, I played last year at South Alabama and Georgia State, Louisiana Lafayette. Even this, this Thursday, we actually open up and, and play at Mobile against South Alabama, my old team. So it'll be interesting to go across there. So we want to make sure that, that we get prepared for, for the season and that our team is, is firing and all cylinders at the right time of the year. Well, you're coming off a nice one nothing win over Southern, and uh, you already led me to it. I wanted to ask about the emotion of playing that game at South Alabama, a team that you were with last year. You'll you'll have some mixed emotions for sure, right, Coach? Absolutely, because you make connections with, with, with members of the team. Uh, so I still talk to some of the girls. Obviously, don't talk too much about tactics and things like that because we're still we're going to play against each other. But you still keep connections and wish them all the best and. Uh, they're they're girls that obviously helped me get to where I am because without them and their success last year um, it wouldn't have reflected on the coaching staff and I wouldn't have been able to get this job without them as players being successful Uh, so so it's going to be nice to go back over there and see everyone but for 90 minutes it's going to be uh, it's going to be another opposition recognize that uh, accent uh, by way of Scotland as well and it's interesting because you, we've not uh, southernized that accent because you also spent time at Northern Alabama right you got your masters there when did you come over to the states coach uh, I come over in 2007 uh, I went over and played four years at Martin Methodist College which was an NAIA school up in Pulaski Tennessee uh, I spent four years there uh, I stayed on and coached there for a year and then after that, I went to North Alabama to get my master's degree. Finished a little early because we didn't have a full-time assistant. So after graduating, um, they opened a full-time assistant position that I fit into um, and, and stayed on there for four years and then moved to South Alabama. Okay, so just so I'm clear, you came over to play at Martin Methodist. Is that right? Play and get a degree? Yeah. What position did you yeah. play, Coach? Uh, I was a bit of a scrub, played wherever, you know. Um, <laughs> I just played wherever the coach needed me to, uh, which was really beneficial for me, to be honest, because it, it led me into a very successful coaching career um, for, from what my coach in college had done. You know, he kind of taught me the game and, and made me really understand the game for different positions. You know, I originally started as a forward and then moved to midfielder and then finished my career as an outside back. So uh, I really learned different positions and got me honed in and, uh, really set me up for um, being being a coach. Yeah, was that your plan? You know, when you came over to get your degree from the United States as well, did you know you wanted to be a coach? 
I'd be lying if I said I, if I did want to do that, but you knew it was an option coming over to America. Back home, we don't have the option of um, playing and getting a degree at the same time. But uh, my dad was a coach. He coached me for 15 years growing up. So um, when I came to America and I got over here and I saw the college system and uh, I saw what went into it and it was like real professional coaching, um, I, I just kind of kind of fell into a nick of it and thought, you know, this might be something nice that I want to try. So started kind of coaching some club teams on the side and started taking some licenses and things like that and really got into it and, and it just all went from there. All right, and then when did you learn about uh, the United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30 program? As uh, certainly glad that you applied, and when did you learn that uh, you actually were accepted? Uh, I only learned I was accepted uh, in July. Uh, I've applied for it kind of most years coming through, and I applied for it again this year in, in the hopes of being accepted for it because it was an honour to, to, to be in it. You know, it's, it's, it's a young coach and as a young head coach under 30 uh, of a program. Um, you're always looking for mentors um, so, so to have one that was um, going to be able to help me through this, not only just, just any year, but this year in specific um, it, it was good to, to have been selected for the program to, to allow me to, to talk to someone who's been there done that and has got a lot more experience than I have Coach, if you listen to this podcast, one of the questions I'm always intrigued by is, particularly with male coaches, you know, when you wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I can have some success coaching women. When did you make that decision? For me, it was even when I was my first year of uh, coaching in college, I felt as if um, it was just relatable. Um, I, I felt as if the way that I kind of carried myself and how I, how I communicated and how I would put forward the, the outlay to teach the game. I felt as if it, it was connected for um, for the women's game because um, it's completely two different styles of play. Um, and it, it just started um, my first year and just immediately fell into it and got got a job on the women's side and and I, I felt successful. I felt as if I, I, I fit in. Obviously, I had a lot to learn and still learn a lot now, but uh, it, it just. It fit for me. And what did your mates over in Scotland say when uh, you said, hey, I'm going to start focusing strictly on women's soccer? <laughs> what would the boys over there have to say to you, Coach? <laughs> they, they said, what's that? Is that just going to be for like a year or two or what? Mm-hmm. And I said, no, you know, it's, it's going to be long term. I'm going to stick with this and really try and make a career out of it and, and coach women's college soccer. So um, back then it was still kind of new. But now we've got so much success with, um, with uh, the international game on the women's side and, and back home. Um, yeah, professional leagues back home are starting back up again, and they're really flourishing. So, um, you know, back then it might have seemed a little silly, but they're not laughing now. No, they're not. Well said, indeed. And they're also not laughing about your commitment to education. I mean, it's impressive. I mean, you look at it. You hold a Scottish Youth FA level E and D. You've got licenses one, two, and three, and goalkeeping from the United Soccer Coaches. In addition to the United Soccer Coaches National Diploma, you've also got one from the U.S. Soccer as well. Certainly, education as well well as this program 30 under 30 as you said you've applied multiple times it's important to you isn't it coach yeah it is and you know i just went and finished the advanced national as well this summer over in texas and it's important that you you all want to learn something uh it doesn't matter if it's the most basic license or the most advanced license you're always learning from every course you go on you learn from the course you learn from other instructors that are there you even learn from the players that come in and do the sessions for you when you're coaching them because they have ideas as well so 
I wanted to start at the bottom and work my way up. wasn't in a big rush to you know fly through and get to the top one quickly. I wanted to go through and make sure we got all the right ones. And um, it, it's important because it's just a, a dedication to the game. You will never know everything. Uh, you're always learning, uh, and that's the attitude that I have to because I believe that as long as we stay open-minded and always understand that the game's changing, people are changing, kids are changing, and the way we coach and the way we teach the game is always going to be different, that um, we have to stay up to date with, with new coaching styles and coaching trends and, and doing licenses are a great way to do that. Circling back to my question about uh, making that decision to coach in women and indeed having the last laugh, because you're right, I mean, U.S. dominant player in the world in women's soccer, and now collegially you look at uh, the success in D1, D2, D3, right on down the list. It's pretty amazing. Knowing all of that, uh, who's kind of been an inspiration for you on the women's soccer side over here in the States, Coach? Uh, Florida State have been a big one. You know, um, it really didn't hit me until I made the transition to coach Division One last year. Um, but watching the way that they play, and I, I was very lucky that last year, uh, within my first kind of month of being at South Alabama, uh, the staff there, we got to go down and go to Florida State and, and, and shadow uh, Coach Kikorian and everything he'd done. And he was extremely welcoming. He let us come in there for two days. Uh, and watch how he talked to his staff, watch how he designed sessions, watch how he talked to the girls, how he communicated, how they analyzed game film, how they conduct their sessions, how they plan their sessions, how they periodize their sessions, how he carries himself um, in meetings. And it was really eye-opening. And it was it was unbelievably professional. Um, so from running a college program standpoint, yeah, he's been he's been fantastic. Um, but the biggest one has obviously been been my, my old boss, Graham Winkworth. Uh, I worked with him at North Alabama. I worked with him at South Alabama. And his successes and how he is as a coach speaks for himself because he's now over at Arizona State. Um, and, and I know in no time he's going to do a fantastic job. Um, so the way that, that he's been doing everything, I've been lucky, extremely lucky to work with him not only once, but work with him twice and see how he's changed as well from different levels of coaching. Um, and I've been lucky to experience that to apply it to where I am now today. Well, let me get this straight. Were you on the bench when South Alabama beat Florida State last year as well? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so you had that time with Mark Rikorian before you played him or after you played him? How did that all work? <laughs> before. Yeah, we went down in the spring. Uh, and there was nothing tactical going on there. We weren't trying to pick. It was to see how he set up his professionalism and run his program and things like that. And it was very eye-opening. Uh, but yeah, then we turned around and um, we were lucky. We were lucky that day. The girls fought well. Well, but that's got to rank as one of the all-time great moments as a coach, does it not? Yeah, for me personally, yeah. Um, and I know for for Graham it was as well. Um, because um, I, th- I think uh, they, were, they were throwing around online on Twitter that it was the first time in eight seasons or something someone at the Power 5 had, had beaten Florida State so uh, it was good because there was a lot of tactical preparation and, and physical preparation and uh, mental preparation that went into the game that day so uh, it was a proud moment for the girls and the, the girls had done well to, to get themselves in that situation um, especially playing them three years before and get the results that they got um, it's definitely a, a a moment that I'm not going to forget. Well, it certainly didn't hurt him in getting that job at Arizona State, I wouldn't believe. No, no, I, I know. And, uh, uh, that, that game was obviously the, the one that kinda you look at and um, how he conducted himself and getting that win. But you look at the big picture, and he was there for four years and won seven out of eight trophies. Um, uh, it doesn't matter what level that's at, um, Division One, Two, Three, or what, what conference, it's, it's incredible to win seven out of eight trophies in four years. 
Well, certainly uh, this is your first year at Southeastern Louisiana. As you said, you know, there'll be some growing pains, but uh, obviously a great opportunity for you at the, the highest level in women's college soccer. Five years from now, where do you want to be, Coach? Uh, I just hope that in, in five years' time, I'm, I'm, I'm still coaching. I'm still doing a good job. And uh, some of the, the players that I'm just recruiting now, they're, they're growing as players and as people. Um, and they're successful in their lives on the field. And even the ones that are going to graduate, they're, they're moving on to, to a good place after that. And uh, obviously, it's going to be nice to win. And, and we hope that we win. But we hope we do it the right way by, by teaching the game. Uh, teaching values and principles, and um, in, in five years' time, if, if if we've got a little championship ring or something, that would be wonderful. Well done. Awesome time spending time with you, Coach. Good luck down there, and congratulations on being a member of the 30 Under 30. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me today. Well done, Christopher McBride, head coach of Southeastern Louisiana women's soccer team and a member of the United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30. All right, one more visit, and we'll call it a show. We'll visit with Chad Waller, the director of media communications for the NAIA, who will break down NAIA men's and women's soccer. Great show for you. Wraps up talking NAIA with Chad Waller after this message. Want 15 extra hours each week? Team Snap can help give it to you. Their customers save tons of time every week on communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to teamsnap.com slash NSCAA1. Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast for the week of September 4th. I'm Chad Waller giving you exciting information on all news around the NAIA. First, starting with men's soccer. Oklahoma Wesleyan moved up five spots to claim the number one position in this week's men's soccer top 25 poll. This is the ninth time in program history the Eagles have been ranked number one. Individually speaking, Federico Morinell of St. Thomas University out of Florida has been named the NAI National Men's Soccer Offensive Player of the Week, and Guillermo Alto of the University of Mobile was named the NAI National Men's Soccer Defensive Player of the Week. Statistically speaking, Morinell scored six goals in three games last week. That included a hat-trick in his team's win over Ave Maria. In goal, Alto recorded three saves and a shutout against then-number-two-ranked Rio Grande out of Ohio. All three of Alto's saves came with Mobile leading just 1-0. Looking back at last week, previously unranked Benedictine pulled off the biggest upset of the week, defeating then-number-one-ranked Hastings by a 3-1 score. This win propelled Benedictine into the top 25 coaches poll, coming in at number 15 this week. A highlight on the men's soccer schedule this week, number one Oklahoma Wesleyan will travel to number eight Missouri Valley on Wednesday. Both teams look to defend their undefeated records in an exciting top 10 matchup. Following an early season loss, defending national champion Hastings had an overtime win against Northwestern Ohio. The Broncos currently sit number four in the coaches poll. Looking at the longest active unbeaten streak in NAI men's soccer, Lindsey Wilson holds that uh, mark as they have won 10 straight matches. Missouri Valley is second with nine straight wins. Steve Burke, head coach at Judson out of Illinois, is now only two wins away from his 550th career win. Burke is currently the all-time leader for men's soccer coaching wins. Nationally speaking, Ramundo Cabello of Mid-America Nazarene currently leads the NAI in goals with eight in only four games. Matthias Magalhaes of Southwestern Christian College out of Oklahoma leads the NAI with six assists on the year. Now switching over to NAI women's soccer. 
Holding steady at number one in the NEI Coaches Top 25 Women's Soccer Poll, Northwestern Ohio grabbed all 18 first place votes this week to remain in the top spot for the third straight edition. Individually speaking, Meline Cabral of Martin Methodist College has been named the NAI National Women's Soccer Offensive Player of the Week, and Romaine Salvador of Northwestern Ohio has been named the NAI National Women's Soccer Defensive Player of the Week. Statistically speaking, Cabral had a pair of hat tricks in two Martin Methodist wins last week. For Salvador in the goal, her highlight occurred in the 2-1 road win at number 3 Vanguard on August 31st. In her fourth collegiate start, Salvador compiled a career-high seven saves in 90 minutes of work. Looking back at last week, unranked Eastern Oregon scored the biggest upset in NAI women's soccer as the Mountaineers blanked then number three-ranked Vanguard by a 1-0 score. On Wednesday this week, top-ranked and defending national champion Northwestern Ohio travels to number two Spring Arbor, a team the racers defeated 1-0 in the 2016 national championship title match. Looking further at the defending national champion, at 4 0-0, Northwestern Ohio has already earned wins over then number three Vanguard, two to one on August 31st, and then number 11 Westmont by a 2-1 score in double overtime on August 29th. The Racers also hold the longest active unbeaten streak in NAI women's soccer, a streak that stands at 18 straight wins. Davenport was the last opponent to take down Northwestern Ohio on October 10th, 2016. Patrick Gilliam, head coach at Trinity International University in Illinois, is now only two wins away from his 300th career win. Burke is currently number two on the active wins list with 298 and would become the second active NAI coach behind Oklahoma City's Brian Harvey with 300 career wins. Nationally speaking, Maline Cabral of Martin Methodist the current National Player of the Week in NAI Women's Soccer, currently leads the country in goals with 13 in only five games. Six players are currently tied for the national lead in NAI Women's Soccer in total assists with five. Be sure to check out NAI.org for the latest scores and updates in NAI Soccer. Needing more soccer news? Make sure to check us out on social media and follow the NAI on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram using the hashtag NAI Soccer. This has been this week's NAI report on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Check back next week for more exciting news around the NAIA. Well done, Chad Waller from the NAIA. I want to thank our other guest, Charlie Slago, the current president of the United Soccer Coaches, talking about the United Soccer Coaches' impressive open training coming up in early October. Check that out right away. My longtime broadcast partner from the Big Ten Network, Chris Dorn, breaking down Friday night's matchup, 7 p.m. on the Big Ten Network between number four Indiana and number five Maryland. And another impressive member of our third. 30 under 30 program Christopher McBride the head coach of the southeastern Louisiana women's soccer team will be back better than ever next week in the meantime we thank all the great folks at the United Soccer Coaches and we thank each and every one of you for listening for everybody at United Soccer Coaches I'm Dean Linky. have a great week everybody the NSCAA is now United Soccer Coaches we aren't changing who we are just what you call us start your free no risk trial membership today. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join.